Well, if you have a seat, if you are a kindergartner or a first grader, we have a thing around here during the school year called We Worship. And so if you're a kindergartner or first grader, you can make your way to the back doors. And parents, if you don't know this, I'll tell you what's going on. They don't have to go, I suppose. But this is a chance. We, we really value around here families worshiping together. We believe not just it's a good thing spiritually, statistically it bears out. Families that worship together, those kids seem to be the ones that stay with their faith longer in life and as they go out of the house. And so what we do for three weeks each month during the school years, we take kindergartners and first graders and we kind of explain to them what we do in big church. So they're just talking about the church this week. And this month, and they'll figure out later on what offering means and what it means to take up uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And they learn all the things that we do in church. That way they understand it probably better than some of us do. So if you just send a kindergarten or first grader out there, quiz them later today and ask them how, ch- how we worship went, okay? We'll give them back to you. You have to take them back. That's the deal on that. The rest of you, if you will, if you're second grade or above, I guess, turn uh, in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We finally made it to the last chapter of this book. And I want to just start by telling you that my wife and I have a grocery problem. When it's only two of you, and it used to be two of you plus two teenage boys, your groceries change, and it's been a while, so we, you'd think we'd be used to it for now, by now, but our dilemma is there's either nothing in the refrigerator, it's too easy just to run and grab something for two people, or there's way too much of something in the, in the, in the refrigerator. And today, because it's uh, jumping off of our text, I want to talk about fruit in our refrigerator, okay? The best strawberries, I think, that we think, come from a big box store, meaning you don't just buy like 12 strawberries, you buy like 150 strawberries, okay? And they are good, but the problem is two people can only eat too many strawberries, especially when one of them doesn't like to eat a lot of fruit in the first place, okay? That's me. And so the the fruit ends up being purchased and placed in the refrigerator, half eaten along the way, and then it starts growing little fuzzy things on it and it gets thrown out, Okay. That, that's my dilemma. That if that's the worst thing going on in my life, then I'm a blessed man. But that's part of the challenges, you know, of a, of a single, uh, uh, an empty nest home. Um, last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to put this idea in your mind. God has and wants to develop His fruit in the believer's lives. And I think sadly, much of that fruit goes unused. Okay? It's, it's, God does not just want you to be um, hypothetically a more loving person or a more joyful person or a more um, gentle person. He wants those fruit to be used in his church. Okay, It's not just I'm a better person. It's is God using you to further his um, designs in the church and in the, in the world. And that those fruit are designed to do that. And I, I, now I, I don't want to make the connection that your spiritual fruit will get moldy, but follow me on that illustration. There's a lot of unused fruit of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Okay, and so today, Paul, don't forget the Bible was not written like Paul didn't write a big six down and say, okay, I'm going to go to the next paragraph. So here's chapter six. And here's verse one. The, the original writers just wrote a letter. We've added those breaks. And so, Paul is going directly from the fruit of the Spirit to what he says in chapter 6. 
He, he, it wouldn't have been a next week sermon idea. They would have read paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. And I want to redefine for you a little bit this morning what it means to be sinful and what it means to be spiritual. Okay? The, the deeds of the flesh are obvious, and we went through that list. Sexual immorality and idolatry, and we went through that list. I fear that sometimes we look at uh, uh, the word sinful and we categorize it and say, well, I'm not that kind of sinful. Okay? Paul's list was not exclusive. If, if you're anxious about things you don't need to be anxious about, that's not God's plan either. And so I want you to start thinking about there are people in this room that there's sin in their life. And not just the big blatant stuff we like to, you know, recoil at. Subtle things that there, if those could be dealt with, that life would be a better life and more reflective of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And all kinds of greed and, and worry and all kinds of things that are not supposed to be a part of our life. That's the, I want you to think about that. Don't just think about the person caught in like the wickedness. I mean, think about the person caught in just a cycle of thinking that's sinful. It doesn't line up with what God wants us to think like and act like. Then the idea of spiritual. You might think, well, I'm spiritual because I have a good quiet times, or I'm spiritual because I really know how to pray. And frankly, some people say, I'm really spiritual. I don't even need to be a part of a church. I can just, you know, watch online or, or pick and choose. Some people can say, I'm spiritual, and I just come to certain events and certain services. To be spiritual, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 6, is to put the fruit of the Spirit into work in the body of Christ. You can't say you're a spiritual Christian and you're not plugged into doing what God asked us to do in chapter 6. Okay, so this is a challenge in in many different ways. I want you to identify maybe you're not as um, spiritual as you think you are and maybe you're more sinful than you think you are. But the good news is Paul gives us even an answer in this chapter. It's been said that a church is to be a hospital where people that are struggling can come and find care. Um. The fruit of the Spirit is how that happens. We begin to love one another and bring joy to one another and and that kind of stuff. So read with me, starting in chapter 6, we're going to read the first six verses. The last verse, you're going to say, what is that doing there? Um, I'll try to explain that. Verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, and again, don't just think wickedness, okay? I mean, I, I even hate to define it, but if somebody's just trapped in kind of a sin, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Let's pray. God, would your Holy Spirit that produces fruit in our lives um, show us how to use that fruit, how you intend to use that fruit. God, may we be open this morning to seeing ourselves um, as sinners in all the forms that that may present and God also to see ourselves what it means to be useful spiritual people led by the spirit in the body of Christ and in the world and God when we do this um, this church and even these gathered here will become 
a source of hope and strength in this world, God, where people can come and, and find help and, and find you. And so I just pray, God, that your fruit would um, mature this morning, that we would see why you intend to make us more loving and more joyful and more patient and more kind. Just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I cheated you on the outline this morning. There's only four points, so just uh, you can take a rest. The first is restoring a sinner. What does this mean? What does it look like? He says right there in verse 1, brothers and sisters. So he's obviously talking to the church. The letter of Galatians is written to the church. And he starts by saying this, if someone is caught in sin. So he, he's, you can, you, your mind might immediately jump to Matthew 17 where Jesus talks about church discipline, for instance. If you see somebody in a sin, you go to them one-on-one, and then you bring it to another person or two along with you. That's where Jesus says, um, if two or three are gathered in my name, your prayers will be answered. And so there's obviously a mechanism in the, in the, in the Bible to bring um, those who are strained uh, back into the will of God, to, to not be sinning. And, and again, it, it is obviously true of big, blatant um Sins that everybody would recognize and everybody would identify is, but I want you to think just simple discipleship here. If you have a friend that their sin is not all that, you know, wicked, but they worry unnecessarily or they're anxious about things un- unnecessarily or it's just subtle things like that, but they're still not in line with what God would have us to be as a, a fulfilled life and a complete life in Him. God has designed the fruit of the Spirit to come alongside that person. And help them grow in that area. Again, yes, blatant sins, but also more subtle sins. And I think the idea is that as brothers and sisters gather together and do life deliberately, it's not just doing life to get, listen, you can do life on the golf course, I get that. But doing life in a deliberate way where we are here to help one another grow in Christ-like maturity that's what he's saying here. It's, 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 if you see somebody caught in a sin, and the word caught is important here too. It, it basically means to be surprised or unexpectedly caught into something. It, it is not the, he's not talking about here the rebellious, I'm going to do what I want to do, I don't care what God says, I'm going to look at what I shouldn't look at, I'm going to act like I shouldn't act like. It is somebody that, that is almost overcome with sin in their life. Again, it can be very blatant, and, and the stories are out there, but people unexpectedly, not planned, got trapped in some pretty wicked stuff. It's also very subtle that just our whole mindset is over the, our lifetime, we get trapped in thoughts of, of, that are just worrisome or anxious or those more subtle sins, and we didn't intend to rebel against God, but we're not living the way God wants us to live. We're, we're overcome or we're caught in sin. It, it really has the idea of one animal catching another which should bring us to what Jesus says about the enemy that says sin is crouching at the door or Satan is a roaring lion going around looking for somebody to overtake. Okay, It's true that many people do sin in such a way that they are rebelling against God. It's also true that many of us, including all of us, sin in ways we don't realize, we didn't plan on, but given the word of God, it's like, yeah, that's not quite in line with what God wants. And what Paul wants is somebody with the fruit of the Spirit, somebody who's led by the Spirit, to come alongside and help. That's called discipleship. Okay, It's called brothers and sisters doing this. Um, the way Paul says to do it is to do it gently, 
which I'll, I'll get to here in a second. Um, unlike the Pharisees, and we'll come, we'll come to a text where they caught a woman, and they were not gentle with her, and they had other plans than just restoring her. They were trying to trap Jesus. And so that's what, that's what Paul's saying here. A couple verses. James 3, 2. We all stumble in many ways, right? We all do. We, we need help in this area. Every one of us should have somebody, hopefully, um, that helps us grow in our faith, helps us grow to be more like Christ. The other verse that came to mind was that Satan masquerades like an angel of light. Okay? It's very easy to not identify our sins because we've been convinced by ourselves and by the enemy and by the world that, oh, that's not really a sin. It's tricky. It, make, it makes it seem so good. We need people, Bible-informed, spirit-led people to say, let's, let's walk through this together. Okay? So first of all, that press. Then it's you who are live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If you have a King James, New King James, it said those of you who are spiritual, right? Um, it's it literally in the Greek is live by the Spirit. We've seen this elsewhere in this text that you're led by the Spirit, you follow the Spirit, you keep in step with the Spirit. Um, it's not for, I don't think, it's for the super spiritual people. Okay, I think it's for people that when they're led by the Spirit, they become loving and kind and gentle. Remember, restore gently is a fruit of the Spirit. Is, is I am, um, my goal is to, to put the fruit into work. That's what spiritual means. To put the fruit into work in the body of Christ as God intended. And I should restore that person Again, gently, restore is the idea of putting a broken bone back into place, okay? Or mending a fishing net. That's the Greek word there. Think about how often, and again, the Pharisees were the prime example, the legalist of Jesus' day, the legalist of Paul's day. When they see somebody caught in sin, what they want to do is drag them before God, right? Drag them before Jesus, see what he's going to do about them, or they want to say, at least I'm not as bad as that person. And what Paul says is, if you're really spiritual, you don't point out their sin, and you, and you don't make yourself feel better because they're worse than you, you go about restoring them gently. Okay. Now, I should say this, this is a relationship thing. When it says brothers and sisters, I'm not telling any one of you, start looking for sin so you can go restore people gently. We should have those relationships, it's called discipleship again, where somebody has allowed you to speak into their life. And I'll, I'll come to something later on about this, but um, that's the idea here. And he says that you should restore them gently. Put, put them back together gently. Don't reject them, don't, don't even take pride in that, but bring them along and help them um, Again, be made whole again to, to, to be uh, the way God would have it so they can have peace in their life and they can have joy in their life and they can have all the things they're supposed to be in their life. A couple of verses here. James, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. Strengthen the hands which hang down and feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. That's the idea of a church. Where we help people limping through life get back on their feet. If you've been to a hospital lately, or know somebody's been to a hospital lately, one of the pressing issues in healthcare right now is wait times, right, in the lobby. It's just, it's a huge deal. And the hospitals know this, by the way. It's, it's a hard deal for them to manage. And getting the care you need at the time you need it, right? The church, think about how many people come to church struggling 
and they don't find the help they need because we're not in these kind of relationships where we can gently restore people back to wholeness. That, that's a, a frustrating thing when you're getting health care. It's a frustrating thing when you're trying to get spiritual care. And they may not even know why they're here. I'm just saying this is part of what God's intended us to do. And we reflect Jesus when we do this. Matthew 12, 20, quoting the Old Testament, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He's not, he does, he's not here to put out their fire. He's here to help them. Well, then Paul says, going on in verse 1, Watch yourselves, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. This is where the pride thing comes in. We certainly don't want to point out somebody's sin and say, well, thank God I'm not like them, right? Pride comes before the fall. And don't be surprised if you get... Now, I think there's a couple ways that we can be tempted. One is that pride thing, that I just look down on other people because I don't have the same struggles they have, and I look down on them that way. The other is to fall into the same sin they have. And so if somebody does struggle in one area, we could be tempted in that same area, and we should be careful about that. Paul says, if anyone thinks they are standing firm, be careful lest they fall. A couple verses we'll look at on Wednesday nights as we talk about immorality more is, do not judge or you also will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's where pride comes in. I'm not saying we don't talk truth to one another. I'm saying I can't think I'm better than you because your struggle is different than mine. And so um, be careful in doing this yourself because you are apt to the same kind of things. Verse 2 then, he says, carry one another's burdens. This is a great picture. Later on, he's going to say, carry your own burdens. So there's this dichotomy going on. But right here's what he's saying is to support the weight of somebody else's life. This very word is used when Jesus or Simon of Cyrene were asked to carry the cross to Golgotha. It's the exact same word. They put the weight of that on their back and walked. And what Paul is saying here is if you are being led by the Spirit, if you're a spiritual person... Part of the reason God put that fruit in your life and is growing that fruit in your life is so you can come alongside a brother or sister and help them carry the load. Not just give them advice, right? There's a story about, and I don't know how true, I read it in one of the commentaries, but a, a, a person came to a pastor and said, Pastor, I really wish there was more of the Holy Spirit around here. And the pastor said, you see that person over there? They're really struggling right now. Once you go share with them, in fact, they might need a place to stay once you go do that. Well, that's not what that person was talking about. And what the pastor was doing is pointing out what the fruit of the Spirit was. There are opportunities all over the place to carry one another's burdens in the context of the church. And so he's saying carry it, and in fact, if you want to go deeper into the Greek, it's an ongoing thing, it's continual, meaning continue to carry their load. This is not a, a quick shot in the arm. And it's an imperative, which means you're commanded to do this. Again, redefine what spiritual means. If we're not helping one another carry what they're dealing with, Paul would say it earlier in this book, to humbly love other people, then we're not fulfilling the law of Christ, is what he will go on to say here. In First Thessalonians, Paul would say, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. That's the fruit of the Spirit at work. In Romans, Paul would say, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and do not please ourselves. So point one is restore the sinner. Point two is you're responsible for yourself. Okay, This sounds contradictory. I don't mean it to be. Paul didn't mean it to be. 
But this does not automatically say, y'all got to help me all the time, right? This is the, this is the flip side. He's talking to the spiritual believers here, the ones being led by the Spirit. And I think part of what he's saying here is, um, in verse 3, when he says, if you think you're something when you're not, don't deceive yourselves. They deceive themselves. Um, I think part of what he's saying here is if you think you're really all that spiritually and you're not doing this, you're deceived. You think you're special, right? You you think you're something, but you're not because you're not putting the fruit at work the way he wants it at work. And so what Paul is, I think, balancing this out, he says some people really need help and we need to look for that. This is not a everybody help me pity party kind of thing either. Right, We're to walk on our own two feet where God has given us the ability to do that and all that kind of stuff. Again, Jesus is a great example of this. He's a high priest who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. That he's sympathetic towards us. He knows our weaknesses. And so we can come to him, but we need to understand that we're deceived if we're not doing this kind of stuff. Then he says, each one of you should test your own actions, is point four. Um, so just watch yourself here. So again, don't look down at other people. I, I laugh sometimes because I get, um, if you hand somebody a $50 bill or a $100 bill, they're going to do what? They're going to put it up to the light. I don't know if they even know what they're doing, but they're going to put it up. I don't know what they're doing. Put it up to the light. They're probably going to draw on it with a little highlighter or whatever and make sure, and then there you go. I'm always, I'm freaked out. Sometime I'm going to get caught with a counterfeit and not even know it. But I, I start giggling a little bit when it goes from 50s, which it's not like I care around much. Anyway, when I throw out my $1,000 bills here and there. No. When they start doing it to fives and tens and ones, I'm like, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm making a killing giving you $1 bills at the gas pump. But it's the same idea. To, it, in fact, it's a blacksmithing tool that says, or term that says, make sure it's what you think it is. And so when he says in verse 4, each one should test his own actions, One, to make sure you're not sinning in the same way that that person is sinning. And secondly, to make sure you don't think you're more spiritual than you are and you're not helping them with the fruit of the Spirit the way you're designed to do or you're doing it and taking great pride in it. And so this is a self-examination way to test yourself in this. Um, We're all, as I already read earlier, we're all going to stumble in many ways. And, and I had this thought, it kind of is in context here, but when your life, when you and I stand before a holy God in a, in a figurative way, he's going to hold us up to the light, okay? And he's going to see if we're legit or if we're counterfeit. And every last one of us is counterfeit, except, here's the beauty of it, Jesus Christ was not. So when it comes to judging my worthiness to spend eternity with God, Instead of picking George up and saying, you don't measure up, he picks up his son and he says, he did it. You're in. Okay? And so Paul is saying, make, make sure you're not prideful here. Make sure you're subtle or you're, you're humble in this. And then he says in verse 4, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Now, um, this is a tough verse. I had to wrestle with this. But it's, it's basically, if I could summarize it, Worry about yourself, okay? Um, help as you're intended to, but it's not a judging game. It's not you're better because you don't deal with this and they do. Because somebody else more spiritually mature, I guarantee you, somebody can take a look. I don't care if you're the most spiritual person in the room, 
Somebody else, if not, if nobody else, God through his word and his spirit can take a look at your life and say, you need to grow in this area, right? We, uh, my comparison is not I'm better than the person next to me or down the road or on the one I see on Facebook or whatever. Mine is, am I better than Jesus Christ? The answer is no, I'm not. None of us measure up. All I can do is follow God, follow his word, do the best I can, trust Jesus because he's made me complete and he's made me holy in ways that I will never attain this side. But it's just quit, quit comparing yourself with other people is what he's saying. And gosh, it's easy to do. Um, and we do it a lot. Then he says in verse 5, carry, each one should carry his own load. Um, that's the point of, again, worry about yourself. Don't worry so much about other people. I think that all makes sense. Okay. Point three is verse 2, reflecting our Savior. He says in verse 2b, in this way, hopefully everything I've just described, in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Remember, the legalists wanted to lay down the law so that people would live right. And what Paul is trying to say is when people are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and his fruit begins as they're following the Spirit, as their fruit begins to develop, they will... I don't want to say naturally, but supernaturally, spirit-led, fulfill the very meaning of the law in the first place. The law of the legalist was so that you would behave right. The law of love, the law of Christ, is so that you would be right, but also you would help others be right. It's not a, You're not the end of that game. You're the conduit of that game. And so if you really want to fulfill the law, then you love your brothers and sisters using the fruit of the Spirit to do that without taking pride in yourself, without looking down. That's what it really means to be spiritual. Back in chapter 5, Paul said this, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He would say in that chapter as well, against such things there is no law. You can't make people do this, but the fruit of the Spirit, people led by the Spirit will do this. John 13, you all know it. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. James 2.8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 1 Corinthians 9 says basically the same thing. Romans 13, let no debt remain outstanding except continuing the debt of love for one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And of course, when Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. Everything in the prophets rests on that very thing. And so Paul's just driving that home, saying that's what it really means to be spiritual. Point four in the final verse, which is seems out of place, and it doesn't say what maybe you think it says, and it doesn't say what I wish it said. So let me read it and tell you what I don't think it says. Nevertheless, so I got to start with that word, okay? Paul doesn't go on about the fruit and then a disjointed statement. He is connecting it with what he just said. Nevertheless, okay, all that, love one another and the fruit. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Okay? You know what product placement ads are? Like you're watching a, 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 a game or you're watching a, a TV show and all of a sudden just it seems like a random thing. The announcer says, oh, by the way, I love athletic greens. You ought to eat athletic greens for the breakfast. Or I love, you know, I, and all of a sudden it's like that has nothing to do with the football game. 
No, because he's getting paid, right, to point you towards that product. I don't think verse 6 is a product placement for paying your pastor, okay? Again, there are certain things in the Bible I wish they thought what it meant what everybody thought they meant. That's not what this means. There are other verses that say that, so thank you for paying us, and I'll just leave it at that. But what does this have to do? What does this have to do with life-on-life discipleship? So let me read it again, and I want you to, maybe you can get to the answer before I give it to you. What does it mean in the context of loving one another, gently restoring one another with the fruit of the Spirit? The one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. Here's what I think it means. The person who's been gently restored is the one who receives instruction in the Word. Okay? Get out of your mind for a second that this is what pastors do to lay people. This is what brothers and sisters do with one another. You see a brother or sister caught in sin. You restore them gently. How? By giving them advice? No, by pointing them to the Word of God. That person receives that instruction within the context of that relationship. And they begin to share back to their instructor... Thanks for helping me with that. Here's a way I can help you with something. And it's, it's this, this beautiful picture of discipleship in the church. It's not pastors getting paid. It's friends sharing the gospel. Friends sharing the word of God with one another. Friends restoring one another gently before it gets out of hand, before it goes off the rails. And and reciprocating that and, and just a, a relationship of back and forth of sharing what God's Word says about this and sharing what God's Word says about that. And so let me read it again with that in mind. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction, the one who is restored, should share all good things with their instructor. I'll read this verse, First, first Thessalonians. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each one as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's another picture of this, just give and take, building one another up, restoring one another gently. So let me apply this in a couple ways. One, do you need to be restored? Are you one who has been caught in sin? Maybe it's a, uh, something you're so embarrassed about and you know it's wicked and you know it's immoral and you shouldn't do it. Um, you need to repent. You need to confess that sin to God. My hope would be that there would be people around you that you could confess that sin to them. And confidence perhaps, certainly in the, the goal of gentle restoration. But here's what Proverbs 28:13 says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces it finds mercy. Read that again. You might need to hear this. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces finds mercy. 
Here's what John would write. This is the message which we have heard from him who and declare it to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So again, maybe wickedness, okay? Maybe subtle sins. But just confess it before the Lord. He will give you mercy. Concealing it is not the way to do that. Second question, maybe you need to be restored. Maybe you need to be restoring somebody else. I believe every believer ought to be helping somebody else grow in their faith. Somebody not quite as far along the journey or somebody at the same place or maybe somebody ahead of them, but gently restore one another. It's easy to say it's hard to pull off. You have to have somebody willing to, somebody speak into their life and you have to have somebody willing to carry their burden over time and do that. I'm going to, uh, we've talked about this before, I'm going to put some um, legs on it. During October, so we got a couple weeks here, at 10 o'clock, I don't teach a Sunday school class. If you are interested, you're not signing up for anything, but if you're, this is, I'm going to call them interest meetings. If you would like to, and we'll equip you to do this, we'll give you the tools and the curriculum to do this. If you would like to invest in other people, okay, the, the, at this point, you're the one that think you can help gently restore people along the way. You could be in a discipleship relationship where you're leading it a little bit. Um, in October, find me between services. I don't know where this will be. It might be in the lobby. And I'm just going to lay out for you what we're thinking and give you the tools to maybe consider that. And then hopefully by the end of the year, next year, we'll begin to put some of those relationships together, like groups of two or three, where they are growing together and doing exactly what Paul has asked us to do here in Galatians chapter 6. Okay? It goes without saying, but I'm going to say it. Um, this is for believers when it says, brothers and sisters, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, um, this is God's spirit at work, both in your heart and in the heart of the person that will, will hopefully restore you gently. And so you need the Holy Spirit in you, and the way he comes is when you ask Jesus Christ in your heart. You forget to be forgiven of your sins, and he'll do that. Mercifully, he'll do that. So if you don't know Jesus, ask him into your heart. Ask him to forgive your sins. and Admit your sins and just come to him. If you do know him, can we help you be restored or we can help you restore others? That's kind of the goal today. Let's pray. God, thank you in, in studying that I, uh, I hope I can see what you want us to do with this fruit. Um, you don't want us to be a huge just pile of rotting fruit. <laughs> you want the fruit of love and, and patience and all those, all those fruit to be active in this body. And God, I know there's some here today that need gentle restoration. They're, they're struggling and they know it. Um, and I, got, I pray, God, that we would even today begin to piece that together where we could help do that. God, there's some here that they've been caught in sin and they don't know it. They need an outside voice. They need somebody from outside to look at their life and say, you know, this really doesn't line up with Scripture. So, God, I pray for those that need to be gently restored. I also pray, God, for those in this room that are led by the Spirit that they would not deceive themselves and think they're spiritual when they're not helping others grow. And so, God, whether that's teaching a class, whether that's discipling another believer, God, just it, it, don't let us coast.
God, what a great place this is, and even better it could be, is if everyone here was just pulling in this direction of, of all trying to grow to be more like Christ, so that he would be glorified and his name would be known in this community and around the world. Thank you, God, for those even that don't know you yet, that you can come and rescue them. Um, And I pray, God, that some would give their life to you for the first time today and begin this journey. Um, We love you and we thank you. May Jesus be glorified in all this as we stand and as we sing. Amen. Let's stand and sing.